Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Right, evening, Facebook is live, I believe. 2121, Facebook is live. Is it working? Is the microphone working? Everybody's asking. I know all my followers are out there and they will let me know if the microphone isn't working. I know you're there. Um, I mean, it may look like there's no one there on Facebook, but I know that's a glitch of the system. And I know you're there. Right. Uh, excuse I, I'm just trying to time this right. Usually I get it on quicker on um, Instagram, but now I have live Q&A with, you know, you're, you're having a glimpse behind the curtain here. This is what goes on. This guy with JJ Steiner, it, it's a bit sad when you write things in the third, third person, don't you? That's, uh, should I say with me, should I make it clear that I am writing this thing? I think people think that I've got a team of people working for me but uh sadly it's all manual so with jsm frcs plast add title <laughs> live hold on a minute 68 followers right oh god right i have got questions i will be answering them presently god do i look all red look the light the light's too bright Oh God, that's turning it up. Oh my God, is that? Oh God. Oh my God, I think it was turned down. Now what's, hold on, have I not got the camera turned the wrong way or what? Right, okay. Oh, Corin's here. Not in instant. Yeah, I am. I'm trying to press the button, Corin. But, uh, oh God, a title. I just added a title. Do you know what? I think it's all... I'm going to close it, close it all, close everything. Well, nice to see you, Corin. How are you doing? Um, live, live, title, select a charity. Here we do. Add title. Oh. Anyway, got questions tonight. Very exciting uh, night ahead of us. Uh, there's a plethora of questions, and actually, two questions have been asked prior to the, you know, responding to the stick on Instagram and responding to the Facebook. Um, I don't know, responding to something on Facebook. In fact, just a message on Facebook. I don't he's responding uh, to anything on Facebook. So I said I'd start with this one, which is the Facebook one. Um, Really sorry about this. Oh man, why is it not? Is it not working? Ah, checking connection, right? Okay, I think it's working. Put it on the, there we go, it's working. 
Right, Instagram Live, Facebook Live, YouTube Live. Any YouTubers out there uh, that aren't members of my family would be gratefully uh, uh, received. Um, okay, nice to see you too. I'll head over to Instagram. Yes, I'm sorted. Jackie's in the house. Corinne's in the house. Evening all. Right, so um, yeah, what we got here is uh, we got ourselves a question on Facebook, which says, I have a question for your live q and I'd like to know, as well as a muscle repair, is there anything else that can be done surgically to strengthen the abdominal wall? I have a weak wall, which I believe could affect the look of my results. I would possibly be looking at FDL. Also, what's your thoughts on BMI? Mine is 30.1. I've sent pics via email today. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, also, I am seeing a gyne physio. My current pelvic score, 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 pelvic, I think it's supposed to be pelvic floor score. <laughs> pelvic score, score. Anyway, pelvic floor score is zero out of five. I realize I would need to put it working also. Okay. Thank you. I didn't word it very well. Okay. Um, so answer to this question is as follows. Um So, a weak abdominal wall. If you have a weak abdominal wall, the tummy tuck is not going to strengthen your abdominal wall. A tummy tuck is kind of going to uh, kind of like repair your abdominal wall, kind of bring the, the muscles together, but it doesn't strengthen the muscles. The... Um, the, the weak abdominal wall might be due to your weak muscles, or it might be due to the fact that you've got a wide spread of your muscles. And sometimes you see people who certainly have had a lot of children, particularly people who've had um, uh, twins uh, and um, uh, multiple births, then their abdominal wall has been stretched an awful lot. And so they need a lot of work to bring that together. So the um, spread between the muscles can vary from Usually it's like a couple, you know, a few centimeters and it can vary and, and be very, very wide um, spread. And you sometimes need to strengthen it centrally, laterally and do other works to to bring it all together. Um, so that can be done in the tummy tuck. Um, so the question specifically says, what else can be done surgically to strengthen the abdominal wall? So sometimes more needs to be done surgically than just simply bringing the muscles together. Sometimes we need to bring the muscles together. And sometimes, I say sometimes very rarely, I don't do this very often, but sometimes you need to do lateral plication as well. So plication means sort of um, tightening the, 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 the uh, coating of your abdomen, the, the, the wall of your abdomen so tightening the wall shoring it up so sometimes i do it laterally as well as straight down the middle usually it's just straight down the middle so that's what else can be done surgically but it doesn't actually strengthen your muscles and um so if you have weak muscles you're still going to have weak muscles the annoying thing is a lot of people have quite strong muscles and uh, they get annoyed because it doesn't show on their uh, on their abdominal contour if you have a, got a wide diverification a wide split between those muscles it, you've got that bulge and it's annoying so bringing the muscles back can give you back definition so it can do a lot to bring back definition but it can't give you strength you can so in terms of your gyne physio your pelvic floor now your pelvic floor muscles are different so if your abdominal cavity is a box then the um, 
anterior abdominal wall is the front of the box and that is what we work on to tighten when we are doing a tummy tuck the pelvic floor is the floor of the box it's the base of the box so it's sort of like the floor of your pelvis it's inside your tummy we you know if you wanted to surgically get to the pelvic floor you'd either go through the bottom quite literally you know through the sort of perineum the bit between your bottom and your private parts or you go to it the other way which you'd be going through the anterior abdominal wall um into where your bowel and your uterus is and there's the floor of the pelvis there so you know we don't do it when we do a tummy tuck so the pelvic floor being strengthened is completely different to this kind of muscle strengthening um this kind of muscle when you're doing tummy tucks is your anterior abdominal wall your six pack basically and we are not going to give you strength. So if you want strength, then you can work and strengthen those muscles, which means doing sit-ups and core exercises um, to strengthen those muscles. And then that definitely you'll be able to uh, appreciate that um, definition better when the muscles are brought closer together. So that is what you do for the pelvic... For the, for the um, abdominal wall so we're not kind of strengthening it we're just bringing it together the actual strength of the muscle itself will be what it is it'll either be strong or it won't be strong it's that's what your muscle you know if you work out it'll be strong if you don't work out it won't be strong having a tummy tuck won't make it stronger i hope i have answered that adequately um also, there was a question on Instagram which said earliest age for rhinoplasty, earliest age for a rhinoplasty. As a general rule, you kind of don't really want to operate on something while it is changing, while it is growing and your face is growing. And I would say um, as a sort of 18 is kind of normal for sort of um one thing is in terms of having a having surgery if you're having having surgery less than 18 is quite hard anyway because there's a lot of um sort of red tape and and uh, and, uh, and um, a lot of work the, the clinics have to go through to uh operate on children and i know you might say a 16 17 year old is not a child but medically speaking they are considered a child so that is a there's a lot of red tape there but assuming you had a clinic that would operate on children we probably wouldn't be doing it uh, and we can't operate on children at our clinic in fact we don't do rhinoplasty so anyway on two counts but um uh, 18 i would say is kind of the that would be the normal age um having said that the two things i would put the two sort of riders i would put on that are First of all, be true to yourself. If things are still changing, if your facial structure is changing still, then give it more time because everyone's different and not everybody has become completely mature um, physically by the age of 18. Uh, so that's the one thing. The two thing is it is big deal changing your body. It's a big deal changing part of yourself. Um, it's quite psychologically and emotionally um, charged. So you have to be aware and comfortable from that point of view to change that part of your body. And I would say 18 is very young to do that. So if you ask the question, what's the youngest, that would probably be the youngest, not necessarily the most advisable. Um, if you could, you know, maybe wait till longer, um, A, if your face is changing, but B, just so you feel that you are emotionally ready for the consequences, then it would probably be advisable to wait for longer. But, um, but as I say, I don't do um, rhinoplasty myself, but that would be my advice to a rhinoplasty patient. 
Um, thank you for those questions. We got some other questions here, which um, hold on a minute. Amy has put on, which I will get up now. Um, question number one. Well, it's actually strictly speaking, question number three. Um, can we offer removal of a giant congenital nevus on a six-month-old baby? Right. Well, that goes back to the uh, under eighteen thing. So we can't know because it's a six-month-old baby, and um, we can't operate on children. So uh, whilst I'm saying, oh, 16, 17-year-old, uh, a six-month-old baby is clearly a different kettle of fish and would need, be, need to be treated in a pediatric um, unit. And uh, the removal of a giant congenital nevus is something that you would have to seek advice on. It would depend on how large it is and on what sort of risk of uh, malignant transformation would be there. Um, probably, and uh, you know, the advice is go and see a, uh, a specialist and um, uh, and get an opinion because this is a very specialist thing as a giant congenital nevus on a six month old. But um, often in these cases, they're quite hard to remove them because they're giant and you have to remove that skin and you've got to think how you're going to resurface that skin. Um, so, they will uh, we will often monitor these things uh, and look for changes and if there's any evidence of any change then biopsy that change and then deal with it in that regard but it has to be looked on um, carefully because there is a risk of malignant transformation of a giant congenital nevus and so it has to but uh, but I would imagine it would be unusual to operate on it with a with a six month old um, and I would imagine it would be a question of waiting till the child's older, in in which case the anaesthetics risks would be less and uh, and tissue would be easier to deal with. Um, but whether it would get removed at all, and uh, often they don't, we don't remove them. We just monitor them unless there is a high risk of malignant transformation. So uh, very specialist area that, and not something we would treat at the clinic. Um, what are the risks of having a mole removed that is located in the centre of my spine? Yeah, I've had, I mean, a mole is absolutely no problem at all because a mole is a skin thing. So you can remove a piece of skin anywhere you like just because it's not over your spine doesn't make it any more um, of, a, of a risk or more of a problem. That's absolutely fine. I guess, it, I guess, I mean, we did one the other day of a large lipoma and I think that would have more of a, um, so a mole, no risk at all. Um, if you're worried about getting any nerves and things like that, you, do, you know, a mole, as I say, is a piece of the skin. So it's nowhere near the nerves. You don't go anywhere near the deeper structures. A subcutaneous lesion, which I assist uh, or, um, well, not, actually assist is really cutaneous, but, but something that's underneath the skin. So a lipoma would be more of a thing, would be something or, or, a, or something that's a lump that's underneath the skin would be more of a worry. And so that's sort of thing we would ask for a scan for if you had a lump over your spine, because you want to make sure the lump isn't, you know, nerve isn't isn't basically a, uh, a neurofibroma or some nerve tumor or something like that, um, or a bone tumor. Although it'd probably be bony hard if it was, you know, of your spine. So that that's more of an issue. And also look at its relationship with the the nerves in the area, because we don't want to. If there was any risk of that, then we would probably be more likely to do it under general anaesthetic, and more likely to counsel you as to whether it's worth taking on the risk of having it removed at all. So that would be a subcutaneous lesion, just to see how deep it was and how close it was to the nerves, and to check it wasn't part of the nerve. But for a cutaneous lesion like a uh, mole, there's actually no risk whatsoever in doing it 
on your spine or whatever you know if it's right over the midline of your spine well the only thing is it might be uncomfortable to sit back on if it's on the midline of your spine or something like that so that's probably something to consider but um, no risk with the spinal cord which is, i think i get the impression where the patient where the question's going um what you get uh, at well can i ask in a second breast reduction can the nipple blood supply be saved yes it can uh, good question at well it can absolutely it can but the important thing for a second breast reduction is that you need to ideally know the pedicle that was used in the first breast reduction so ideally ideally use the same surgeon if you can it might be many years ago but if your next surgeon for the second breast reduction can get your operation note from the from the clinic or from the surgeon that would be really helpful because we would use the same pedicle for the second breast reduction that was used for the first breast reduction so pedicle means how the blood supply to the nipple is kept going to the nipple and just to put it broadly speaking it can be sort of north south east west you can have pedicles any which way there are more common ones i guess inferior and superimedial are, are kind of more common and superior but still, you can have lateral, you can have bilateral, you can have, you know, horizontal bipedical, vertical bipedical, you can have all sorts. Um, so basically, if you have the nipple held on a stalk, let's say, for instance, from a superior pedicle from your first operation, so all the blood supply is coming from the top into the nipple when they do it, and they lift the nipple up, and then you have the second breast reduction, they don't know what pedicle you've used, and they decide to use an inferior pedicle, then they're going to completely cut your superior pedicle and your the second breast reduction that blood supply is going to be coming through scar which has got a very high risk of the nipple not um, surviving so yes you don't ideally you want to know what pedicle it was um, so yes you can have a second breast reduction um, but and the blood supply can be saved but ideally you'd want to have the details of the first breast reduction particularly the operation note um, so they can know what pedicle was used nice question that can we remove a dermatofibroma? Yes, we can. So a dermatofibroma is a little skin lesion. You often um, have them after an insect bite or sometimes through a non-sort um, of noticed injury. You may not even know, know what's caused it. They're itchy. They're skin-colored lumps. You're, you're very welcome, Pat. Well, um, and they can be a bit of a nuisance, and they're relatively easy to remove. The problem is they're going to leave a scar. Um, so that's something to you know, it depends on how much of a bother it is as to whether you want to trade it in for a scar. They're benign. They don't have to be removed. But uh, we can certainly do that. We can certainly remove a uh, dermatofibroma. Um, that's absolutely no problem at all. I have a cyst located on my forehead, but I had a have a pacemaker with a defibrillator. Will this cause any issues? No, it won't. Um, that's fine, but it is a very good question because a pacemaker with a defibrillator or well even just well a pacemaker in, in itself can be a problem when you're if you're considering surgery because a pacemaker <clears throat> is a metal box in your chest and the problem when we're doing surgery not minor surgery so the reason that we can do this is because this would be considered minor surgery it will be done in the clinic it will be done under local anaesthetic and most importantly it will be, it will be a done with a device called a bipolar diathermy so there's two types of diathermy so diathermy is the kind of um 
sort of like electrical current machine that we use to to cut and sort of seal any little blood vessels while we're doing the surgery. It's called a diathermy. And there's bipolar and monopolar. So when we do a minor procedure, we use a bipolar diathermy. And the bipolar diathermy has the electrical current going between two prongs of a pair of forceps. So it's it's uh, it's a sort of closed in that circuit. So when we do surgery, we use this little thing where it goes, bzz, bzz, you know, it cauterizes any little blood vessels. And that's absolutely not gonna affect your pacemaker um, at all. When you do surgery in the uh, under general anaesthetics or major, more major surgery, you use, you use what's called a monopolar um, diathermy and a monopolar. So the bipolar has two poles, bipolar, um, which for which the current goes between. A monopolar diathermy has one pole, so it's kind of like a needle. Um, it it, uh, it looks like a needle. Well, you can get monopolar forceps, but anyway, never mind. Th that's just one pole of it. The thing you're holding, whether it's a needle or forceps, is one 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 pole of it. And then the current goes between that and a plate which is on your leg. There's a metal plate which is stuck on your thigh usually, or stuck on a fleshy area, and the and the current goes between the two. And um, if the current is is located in a small area. Um, then um, it can cause burns. So that's why we worry about piercings. That's why we worry about metal um, boxes like pacemakers um, because it can affect the pacemaker uh, using a monopolar diathermy. So that would be a potentially significant problem if you're having a general anesthetic, perhaps in the house, um, with a monopolar diathermy. So we would tend to try and use a bipolar diathermy if you have a pacemaker or a metal box or a piercing sometimes people have these studs these um what they call dermal anchors you know these studs you can you can do it for people with these studs but you have to be a bit careful because there is a risk of burning so that's why we always ask you to remove all your studs and uh, all your metal work um, before you have your surgery that's the reason um I am looking for a breast implant removal, brackets, textured, close brackets, with full capsulectomy slash on block and uplift. Do you perform an on block technique? So, simple answer, yes. Yes is the simple answer. Should we leave it at that? No way are we going to leave it at that. A lot of people, not a lot of people, some people get this on block word into their head. And I think they've been on the internet and all that. And I think the internet's great and it's good to have information and all that sort of stuff. But really, you don't need an on-block removal. Now, this is a particular problem if you were thinking of having a capsulectomy um, and replacement of implants without a lift. So if you are going to have it without the lift, then you usually use the same incision you've got, which is about five centimeters long uh, in the inframammary fold. And what you do when you do a capsulectomy, so a capsule is the scar tissue that forms around a breast implant. For those who don't know what a capsule is, that's what a capsule is. And when it goes hard, after you've had your implants in or five, 10 years, that capsule goes hard, makes the implant uncomfortable. You can have the implant changed. You remove the implant, you remove the capsule, and you put a fresh implant in. And what you normally do is you dissect out that capsule, which is quite a hard ball. And then just before you take it out, you cut the capsule, you remove the implant, the capsule then deflates and then that allows you to take the implant of the capsule out through the small incision. An on-block capsulectomy is a capsulectomy where you take out the implant with the surrounding capsule in one piece, on-block, one piece. The problem with that is you have to make a big incision to get that implant out. 
you can't get out on block through that five centimeter incision. Now, in this case, it won't look too bad because this patient's saying they want an uplift. So when you do an uplift, you do make a bigger incision. So it might not be, be too bad if you're having an uplift, but nevertheless, you do, it's, it just makes things more difficult to get it all out as one on block. On block is really a cancer term that you don't want to cut into the cancer type thing. Um, and I'm not sure why, I think it, why this patient is asking for it. I think it's become popularized for um, uh, breast implant illness. I think people with breast implant illness feel that they need to have it on block removed and people with uh, and the worry about um, ALCL, which is that rare, rare cancer associated with implants, think that they might need an on-block removal. If you have ALCL, then yes, maybe you would want to do an on-block removal. But if you're just having it removed because you're worried about ALCL, well, if you're worried about ALCL, um, are you... Oh, maybe you're not having it replaced. No, it just says removal. Um, I mean, so the answer is it can be done, but it might make your scars bigger if you are... If you are adamant you want an on-block, I would say now you don't need an on-block removal. You could have the implant, um, the, the, the capsule, just before you remove the capsule, you incise the capsule, you take the implant out, and then you remove the rest of the implant. It's still a total capsulectomy. Don't get me wrong. It's still a total capsulectomy. It is, it, but it's just not an on-block capsulectomy. It's just a total capsulectomy and removal of implants. That is what the vast majority of people's need is a total capsulectomy and a um, implant removal. Now, uh, having said that, a lot of people don't even do total capsulectomies, particularly if the implants are underneath the muscle. That posterior capsule is going to be right on the ribs. There's a risk of pneumothorax <coughs> making a hole into the into the lung space. So it's a, it's always difficult doing a total capsulectomy and sub muscular implants not impossible but difficult so you know it's something that probably needs a discussion basically in the clinic to say look what sort of risks are you prepared to put up with are you prepared to put up if they are under the muscle there is a risk if it is difficult and if the capsule's really stuck to your rib cage there's a risk that could cause a pneumothorax are you you know do you want are you okay with that or would you prefer that if we just left any um, capsule that's adherent um, and do you really want an on-block capsulectomy, in which case you might have to make your incisions bigger and your scarring more for a dubious benefit? I would I would argue I don't think there is a benefit in doing an on-block capsulectomy versus just having a total capsulectomy. You're just incising the capsule just at the end, taking the implant out, and then taking the rest of the capsule out. What's the problem with that? Why do you have to take it all out in on-block? As I say, it's a cancer term used for a solid tumour that you want to take out on-block. So it's that's where the term comes from. And I don't know, you know, where it's come from in terms of breast implant surgery. Um, but it's but it is certainly out there. So that's where I am with it. So basically needs a discussion. So can do it, needs a discussion. Katie, what you got? Do you remove sebaceous cysts? Yes, have implants and have one near breast that is becoming sore. So have implants and have a sebaceous cyst that is becoming sore. Gotcha. So yes, we sure remove uh, sebaceous cysts. Um, I'd be a little bit worried about a cyst near an implant because presumably, I don't want to make any presumptions here, but presumably it's a breast. Um, could be an implant somewhere else, but presumably it's a breast. So you can't, if it's a breast, you, you, you might be in the realms of, is it a breast cyst? So if it's clearly a sebaceous cyst, so if it feels like it's part of the skin and particularly it's a little punctum and it's an obvious sebaceous cyst, fine. Although 
um, it would leave a scar where the cyst is. And scars on the breast don't tend to heal well unless we can maybe put it around the areola or hide it somewhere. But when you've got a cyst, you kind of have to put the scar where the cyst is. So, um, you know, that's that's a bit of an issue that you might have a scar there. But if it's not obviously a skin thing, then if it's kind of like a little bit mobile, a little bit underneath the skin, I'd be thinking, hold on a minute, is this actually a breast lump? In which case we get into the arena of biopsies, imaging and what have you. Um, it might not be straightforward. It might not be a straightforward cyst removal. It might be, but it might not be. But um, the fact that it's near the breast is, uh, sorry, the fact that you've got implants is kind of irrelevant, really, unless you are going down the imaging and biopsy route, because they probably wouldn't do a blind biopsy of a breast lump when you've got a implants in. They'd probably do it with ultrasound guidance, but it's no, there's no issue if you've got an implant in. It's just, it, it's just the fact that you've got a lump in your breast. Is it a spacious cyst? which isn't that common in the skin of the breast, or is it a breast lump, which is kind of a bit more common. So that's where I'd be on that one, Katie. Can tattoo excision work on eyebrow tattoo? Yeah, I mean, tattoo excision can work anywhere. Having said that, because you just cut it, cut it out and stitch it up, we've had a few eyebrow ones. We've had a few, few people who've like had eyebrow tattoos and they've kind of overdone it. Um, I don't know if we've actually done the surgery on them, though, because I'm never really very positive about it, because obviously when we do the surgery, we're going to make a scar. And, uh, you know, you try and hide the scar. It's hopefully going to be at the edge of your eyebrow. But, you know, is it worth taking on a scar? And I say we, I don't know if one of the other guys that have, but I don't think I have done one. Um, we've, I've seen quite a few and had quite a few inquiries about them. But as I say, I'm never very positive about it because we have to put a scar in the same place which kind of might be worse. And it seems a little bit extreme, you know, for an overdone tattoo, um, eyebrow tattoo to, to have it excised. But, you know, it can be done. So in answer to your question, it can be done. But if you come and see me, I'll probably be a bit negative about it because I'll be a bit worried about putting a scar on your on your face. Although it'd probably be in quite a good area at the sort of interface between your eyebrow and your normal skin. So it probably would heal pretty well. But, you know, I've got to use that word probably. So, you know, it might not um depends on how much you bother you so it comes down to your pros and cons uh following breast surgery is it advisable to carry on wearing a supportive bra at night even after the initial advised period right is the is the like question now is the answer to that question in the question right is it advisable to carry on wearing a supportive bra after the initial advised period so presumably the initial advised period is the advisable time to wear it. <laughs> so, so we wouldn't advise, so it's not advised to use it after the initial advised period. Um, but I know what you mean. So I'm just being uh, semantic. Thank you for that. Um, so semantically speaking, then no, because the advised period is the advised period answers in the question. Thank you, Corinne. But um, I, I get where you're coming from and I know what you're saying. And the answer is it's absolutely fine to wear it after the initial advised period. So the initial advised period is just advisory and you can carry on after the advisory period. I, I mean, everyone's different. I normally say six weeks, um, four to six weeks, really for a supportive bra. The um, swelling and the shape and what have you normally don't settle till around three months. So 
but I just think it's a lot to say you've got to wear a bra for three months, a supportive bra for three months. Depends on the time of year. This time of year, fine, no problem. Summertime, bit of a nightmare. The bras, big straps, and all sorts. So I normally say, look, after four to six weeks, you can. Did I say months? I meant weeks. Can we roll back the VT? Did I say months a minute ago? Anyway, four to six weeks is what, what I meant to say. Um, so I normally say four to six weeks simply because it's a big deal to wear it for longer. But a lot of people say, can I wear it longer? I'm like, absolutely, you can wear it longer. You can wear it as long as you like. Look, Corinne still wears her sometimes. It's comfy. So a lot of people like them. A lot of people want to wear them, particularly if you're doing sports, if you're out shopping, stuff like that, then you might want to wear a more supportive bra. Absolutely fine. There's no harm in wearing it past the advisory period. Absolutely fine. So in a way, it's just like the six, four to six weeks is kind of like the minimum that you really need to be wearing support. But if you want to wear it longer, if you feel comfortable wearing it longer, absolutely fine. Maybe they are asking if it makes a difference wearing it longer. Good one out 12. Thank you for that. So, yes, maybe they are. So the problem with these things, it's always a balance. And I think you might find that it will help the swelling. So there might be a benefit in wearing it longer. Having said that, People often don't like it. They're big straps. Uh, they might want to get back into their normal bras. So around four to six weeks, you can make that judgment. So, yes, there may be some benefits in, in wearing it longer in terms of the swelling. And the, it might be more comfortable. But there might be some downsides in terms of the fact that you want to wear a, a, a less um, sort of um, obvious bra and you might not like the, the look of the bra. So it's a question of balancing that up in your own mind because the benefits in terms of the swelling and the discomfort will be less at around the four to six weeks. You know, the maximum for the first four to six weeks, they kind of get less after that. And if you haven't got much swelling, you haven't got much pain, you've really reasonably comfortable, then you might say, well, actually, the balance is towards wearing a more um, <clears throat> aesthetically pleasing bra. And I'll put up with the fact that it might give me a bit more swelling. And if it does swell, I can always go back to the supportive bra. So, yeah, there may be benefits in in uh, in wearing it past the initial advised period. And basically, you all know that that's a, a lot of this stuff, to be honest with you. A lot of this stuff, the patient know, you know, it's like you will say, look, you shouldn't drive at this time. You shouldn't do exercise. You shouldn't, you know, you can start running at this stage and you can start wearing a normal bra at this stage. But at a lot of time, your body will tell you. And if you don't feel up to it at that stage, you will not start running or driving or um, you know, going back into normal bras, you'll just say, look, it's uncomfortable. And I'm like, yeah, well, listen to your body. Because when we say things like four to six weeks, that's a very sort of um, like generic is say, says, say that to everybody. You know, some people have bigger operations than others. Some people heal up really well, really quickly. Some people don't. Some people have pain, swelling and what have you for a long time afterwards. Sometimes it's all settled. So it's very different with different people. So the bottom line is, to be honest with you, the answer is listen to yourself for all of this stuff. We will guide you, but it's listen to your, listen to your body, you know, and if it's uncomfortable, then don't do it. And if it is comfortable, then carry on. I think that's the, that we should just put that on the post of instruction sheet, you know, all for all comers, you know, if it hurts, do less of it. If it's okay, then carry on, do more. Start gently and build up post of instruction sheet for, for everything, really. Um, right then. Oh, my nib's out. Right, guys, I got my nib out, and uh, don't worry, I put it back in again. Got to put it into my hand. I will see you next week. Will I? I don't know why I say that. As if I've got some kind of schedule, I haven't. Mind you, was I off lot? Was it half term last week? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, I'll be here next week. I don't know what's going on. I'll be here next week. It's not Easter or anything yet, is it? Is it? 
I'm assuming are here next week, seven o'clock. Um, same time, same place. Facebook, YouTube. YouTube's been quiet, I'll be honest. Facebook's been a little bit quiet too, but uh, Muscle and Grumble. Um, Instagram is always a winner. I will see you um, same time, same place. And if you've got any questions, call me, message me. Those are the main ones, really. Call or message me. Um, Corinne, thanks. Great to see you. As always, great advice. Yeah, thank you. Uh, well, thank you. Oh, my God. <laughs> Comments are rolling in now. Thanks, Jackie. All right, Kelly. Bye. Okay, see you. <laughs> right, okay. Right, yeah, see you soon. Uh, yeah, thank you. God, yeah. Wow, that was a flurry. Uh, good. Thank you all for being part of the... Uh, Amazing action. And uh, there's more of next week if you can bear it. Right. Take it easy. Have a good evening. Ciao. Hasta la vista. Oh, right. Stop. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.